Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. Today's topics are the best and worst new car technology, tips to make your vehicle last, and the car chip shortage. Hey, welcome again. This is Mike and Tony Tadich uh, from the Glove Box. Uh, we are service center operators in Northern Indiana, uh, coming to you with another episode of our uh, from the Glove Box. Just talking about some uh, different automotive things, uh, favorites, uh, least favorites, and all sorts of things like that. So, how you doing today, Tony? I'm doing just wonderful. That's good. 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 Um, we're. Uh, you know, busy in the shops and, uh, uh, we just come to you with this broadcast and, uh, try to help everybody out there that's listening to us, uh, you know, find better ways to service their cars and, and be able to, you know, have trusting relationships with your local shops, regardless of where you're at in, uh, in the world. So, um, so we talked about, uh, a couple different things about new car technology. So, um, we we're just talking about different topics to talk about and, and new car technology. So, um, some good ones and some not good, so good ones. Uh, anything come to mind to you, Tony? I hate lane assist. Lane assist. Especially when I'm riding with you. <laughs> well, it, you know, it, it does beep and stuff, but, uh, you know, I feel if you're on a four lane road and, and you're supposed to have one lane, I just elect to take mine out of the middle. So it's not a, not a, or out of all four. Yeah, well, it's okay. But uh, yeah, lane assist is a interesting one. It beeps and, you know, shakes the steering wheel and do, does all sorts of different things. And then if you cross that lane, that line too much, Tony, it puts up a cup of coffee and says you should stop and take a break. Yeah. Or in a GM vehicle, it just vibrates the seat and scares the living daylights out of you because you don't know why the seat's vibrating. Oh, I did. I did not know that. So there, there you go. So that happens and stuff. It really should bring up instead of a cup of coffee, it should bring up get off your cell phone, you know, put down the hamburger and all those types of things that happen when people or are the tablet, cell phone, drink, uh, cough drop. What, what else do you usually do where you, while you drive? Well, you know, there was a time when the newspaper was still a popular thing that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that could have uh, come into play sometimes, but, uh, uh, but anyhow, yeah, they're lane, uh, you know, that, that is meant to keep people from, you know, swerving all over and stuff and we have all driven up and down roads and you realize or you look around and you wonder what in the heck is that driver doing because they are all over the road and stuff so um you know i think of things for customers obviously we'll talk about a little later in this segment but the chips and all that stuff i mean how many little mini computers which is really what a chip is 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 in an average of a modern automobile tony over 20 yeah, so 20 of these little things. So as we look at all these cool technology advances and all the great things these cars do for us, here's the negative side for you consumers. Um, when that stuff starts breaking and starts being a problem, it's, it's expensive to repair. So There's more lines of code in the newest BMW than there is in a uh, uh, fighter jet, uh, brands making new fighter jet. Yeah, what does a line of code mean? Basically, that's that's the information that they write into the computer to where then the computer can behave in the manner that it's supposed to behave in. Yeah, yeah, because we you know we talk about all those things. So you have all these different systems, those those great big center um, displays and 
all the electronics to do that. But the negative, you know, again, for consumers is if, you know, the controls for your air conditioner and heater go out, we would just pull that old head unit out and we put another head unit in there or a blower motor and stuff like that. And now with this stuff all being uh, electronically comp- uh, controlled, it changes the whole thing. Yep. The good thing is in shops like ours and shops like a lot of our friends are nationwide, we we train and service and go to school for those type of things. And uh, I know Tony had uh, some of our people out at uh, Kansas City at a, at a great event uh, to learn uh, a lot about the a lot of the new electronics and a lot of those types of things and stuff. Yeah. I mean, as cars continue to evolve, we, we already have uh, what's called ADOS introduced into the uh, uh, spectrum, which basically is how cars can talk to each other. Um, so if you drive a newer car, you have uh, dynamic cruise control and stuff like that. As cars uh, continue to evolve with, with ADOS, they're sending radar out to, uh, to contact the car in front of you to either slow you down or, speed you back up and so on and so forth. And, and as cars continue that way, they're, they're trying to figure out how to get cars to talk to each other. So that way you can have a driverless car. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, you know, say, well, driver's cars are terrible. And I'm thinking, I think in the majority of people are, I think a driver's car would be pretty good because they're not paying attention half the time anyhow. So here, uh, here's the problem with it right now is they cannot get the technology to catch up with even the human mind. So if you're driving 35 miles an hour and you couldn't stop, you had a brake failure and there was a school bus, there was a, another car and there was a uh, brick wall. And then the last thing was a, a woman uh, uh, or a, a human being pushing a stroller with a baby in it. The car would decide to hit the, uh, per, the person pushing the stroller with a baby in it because it is going to cause the least amount of damage to the vehicle. They cannot get the subconscious of the car to operate the same way in which we would. We would all go steered into the brick wall. Yeah, and that's that's what that's the problem is you don't the the human brain still has reasoning factors yep. and looks and says, "Okay, out of these scenarios, I'm going to hit something else other than, you know, this person pushing a baby stroller." And I don't know that we could ever change that technology. So those those are things that are, you know, going on in the modern vehicle and stuff. But I will tell you, there's a lot of independent shops, including ours, that stay up on these type of things. It is not a, you know, a dealer-only world. Uh, there's places uh, that can do these types of repairs and are really good at them. So we're, we're, you know, very skilled on that end of it. You know, one thing I think I'd bring up, too, in modern cars is the the a uh, uh, lot of switch to uh, electric cars. Yep. Um, so when we think about this, and I remember... You know, well, it was probably a year or so ago, there was a big power outage in Texas for really like 10 days, two weeks. So think about if you had a power outage in your part of the country and you couldn't plug in your car, you're not going anywhere because there's no way to charge that car. So I, I see a lot of faults in that. I don't know if we have a grid system strong enough to handle all that. Um, I know where we live in Northern Indiana, most of us, if you have the option, will heat a home with natural gas versus electric as what? We were in the middle of talking about, uh, you know, when Texas lost power in the grid and how you plug in your electric car and honest to gosh, our little machine uh, lost power. So <laughs> our broadcast just stopped because we didn't have electric. So I guess... Uh, 
We didn't do that on purpose, but uh, I think that plays into the factor with that. So, yeah, I think the jury's still out whether uh, we have a strong enough grid to support that. And I asked Tony why, you know, we heat houses with uh, natural gas more so than electric electricity. And it's really, in, in our part of the country, anyhow, it's more efficient. It's cheaper. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's why people do that. It's quicker heat. You can warm a house up quicker and it, it's, and it's, it's less expensive. So just think about this when you're buying an electric car, there's somebody going to be on the other end, just like somebody's on the other end to sell you gasoline. There's going to be somebody to sell you electric. Electric is not free. Um, charging stations have swipe cards and those types of things. So now I knew on the positive side, it's great for the ozone layer layer. It's great for, you know, all the other things of the world. So there's a lot of positivities of that, but I think the pure factor of, uh, that type of way to, to, uh, fuel your cars could be a little suspect. We'll see. Time will tell. Yes, it will. Um, anything else on, on some of the modern technology stuff that comes to mind to you, Tony? Or? No, I just think that, I think that a lot of the technology that's out there is just trying to make the car more comfortable, whether it be seats, the massaging seats, the, the dual zone climate control, backup cameras, the side view cameras, the front view cameras. Uh, we touched on the dynamic cruise control, things along those lines. I think they've just done a lot to really just make the modern automobile more comfortable, but just remember, like Mike said earlier, every time they do something like that, that is another item that could break that could cost you money in the future. Yeah, and it is going to, you know, limit who can work on that car. Again, great shops keep up with that type of technology and we'll be able to as well. But uh, it does change that. I do like the dynamic cruise control because you can set your distance between the vehicle and the front in front of you and if you're not paying attention as much then you it'll keep you from running into somebody anti-lock brakes is another thing that's been around a long time and they continue to make that better and better and it flat out just stops a car quicker um it senses if a wheel slipping and um it just is a really really good safety factor um so those are those are those are good pieces but yeah a lot of different technology coming out and stuff but in the years that we've had shops i mean they went from carbureted cars to cars without computers to computers. And this is just another change and another growth with that. So I think they're great things. I think the hybrid cars have really come a long way and um, a lot of different opportunities uh, with the combination of those things also to make them more fuel efficient, make us less dependent on gasoline and stuff. I just don't want to become dependent on electric the way we were dependent on gasoline. So uh, we really need to think that through, but yeah, a lot of cool stuff out there. Just remember the more options and the more of those types of things you get on cars, it could be more expensive. The flip side is, I don't think you can buy a car stripped down with a lot of that stuff, not on it anymore either. So, yep. uh, so those are all changes. So yeah, that's a little bit about some of the modern uh, technology, modern things going on in cars and stuff. So it's Mike and Tony Tadich from the glove box. Hey, Mike and Tony, how are you guys doing today? Listen, um, I'm calling because I'm just curious, what is the highest miles you've seen on a car? Because then I want to know what I can do to make my car last that long. Uh, thanks a lot. So, hey, Mike and Tony Tadich back with you from the glove box, uh, independent shop owners in northern Indiana. So our caller asks two questions. Uh, 
what's the highest mileage that we've seen on a car and how do I make my car last that long? Um, so Tony, if you think about it, cars coming into our shops or other cars or even cars you've heard of highest mileage that you've seen or, you know, remember on a car. Well, I'm in the glove box. I can't see the odometer from there. <laughs> All right. Got to, you got to be able to look around a corner you yeah. got to be able to see stuff. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I think, uh, probably like in a, in a commercial use diesel truck is probably the highest that I've seen in the four to 500,000 mile range. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, you know, we've even seen stuff five, 600,000. I mean, I remember seeing a Malibu in one of our shops not too long ago that I think was about 400,000 on it. I know, uh, one of our, uh, technicians has a Jeep with 390 on it and yep. 390,000 miles on it. Still was the original engine. Shout and stuff. out to Dan. Yeah, shout out to Mr. Dan. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of these vehicles, and I think if you if we peel that back even more, um, back when we were first getting started in our shops, most people didn't drive a car past a hundred thousand miles, and they and they were rebuilding engines and stuff like that, and putting transmissions in cars at eighty, ninety thousand miles, or the car was rusting out quite a bit too. So in the thirty eight years that we've been doing what we're doing. Um, you know, that has changed quite a bit. Cars, bodies are made better and they don't rust out. Um, engines are... Don't see frames rusting near as much as what we did a long time ago, too. So Part of the reason is because most modern cars don't even have a full frame. Well, that's true. <laughs> so, so, but Unibody, but, uh, but we, yeah, that is true. We don't yeah. not see the, you know, the way they've made cars is just much, much better. So, you know, and I think the way a modern car is made and its safety and a lack of rusting and stuff like that... Um, they haven't accelerated in price as much as they've grown in, in value and stuff. So, um, and I think shops like ours, we probably, we definitely service way more cars over a hundred thousand miles than under a hundred thousand miles. Oh so, yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, I think there's, if you want to maintain, if you want to buy a car and maintain it, you can get four or 500,000 miles out of a car pretty easily um, with proper maintenance. So, which leads us to the second question, Tony, um, the, you know, our caller is asking, how can I make my car last that long? Well, if you've been listening to us much at all, uh, you have heard us talk a lot about maintenance through the time. So I'm going to talk maintenance in a different manner. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of these cars that I see that, that do have super high mileage on them and everything else, the people wash the car. They go through an underbody spray car wash. They go through and they clean the car. They take well uh, care of the car um, as far as its cleanliness and, and outside type of stuff. They wax the car. They make sure it's detailed. They make sure things like that are taken care of on the vehicle. And I truly believe almost like a uh, you know piece of clothing and that type of stuff, a, a car that's well-kept and well-groomed is going to continue to last a long time. Um, and it's going to continue to look good, even though it's got high mileage on it. That's a, that's a good analysis. I think it goes to the human side, you know, somebody that exercises and eats right and, and does a, a you know, good nutrition and stuff. The human body lasts a lot longer. And I think that the car does too. Um, I think I would throw in on the, on the maintenance side is a lot of people will talk to you about following factory maintenance. Uh, but I want you to think about that owner's manual that's in your glove box, you know, right next to where we're at in the car. Um, it was written a year or two before your car was probably even made, uh, it was put together and cars get out after they get done with 
the warranty periods, they get out to shops like ours. And we get to see all the different things happen. So we get to realize, oh, that Chevy uh, needs its transmission service a little bit more often because of, you know, uh, how it's built and whatnot, like, you know, those type of things. So so here's here's my advice on that. Instead of just following the factory maintenance guide, follow some, some uh, um, guidance from your service centers. Uh, most of us, most of you out there know to change your oil every 3,000, 5,000, 7,500, whatever it is and stuff, because it keeps the engine from blowing up. But I don't think a lot of people know about all the other things. Um, I can tell you too, in cars that we have and loaner cars and stuff, even though they may be a 10,000 mile maintenance, we still service them at 5,000 miles. Um, and we, we use a saying, we say fluid is cheaper than parts. So it's best to change some things a little more often to allow a car to have some longevity. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Uh, that's, that's all uh, stuff that is, that is necessary. Fluid is 100% cheaper than parts. Um, you know, making a car last in, in this manner is, you know, hugely integral with how the car is built, too. So a lot of these cars, people don't realize that that cars nowadays are built to go three, four hundred thousand miles with proper maintenance. Um, remember too, like Mike was saying with the with the uh, uh, owner's manual, that that owner's manual can't be updated. It was printed, like he said, one to two years before it was done. There's no way that they can go in and give you an update. Uh, last time I checked, you never received a, an addendum to an owner's manual in the mail for them to come out and say, "Hey, we changed this." We get that information is aftermarket automotive repair facilities. Dealers get that. It's called technical service bulletins. So they give us updates that way to how the car should be maintained and how it should be taken care of. And the fluid manufacturers give us updates and everything like that. So you could have a 2019 uh, Toyota Camry and Toyota could have came out and said, hey, in 2021, we decided that we want this oil put in this car in order to update it that way. So it's, it's something that has to be, has to be done that way um, because they can't give you a new printed owner's manual every time they want to change something. Yeah, that's a, that's a very valid point. And I, and I would wrap up this thing with that. Uh, the, the call was really about maintaining your car and stuff. And we can make these cars last a really long time by good, proper maintenance, tire rotations, alignments, fluid changes, struts and shocks, uh, regular tune-ups, fuel induction cleaning, all, all those types of things will really help this. But I want you to remember one thing, and we are independent shop owners. We're not, uh, we're, you know, we're not new car manufacturers or people servicing those, but I want you to remember one piece of this. Your independent shop like us has no care or desire to sell you a new car. Um, the big manufacturers respectfully want something to wear out so you come and buy a different car, just like we have trends in fashion, trends in, in house decorating and stuff. They tr change all the time um, to be trendy, but they also change to sell you other new products, whether it be a new couch, new chair, paint in your house. Uh, my wife just told me that we have, a, we have a lot of grays in our house and grays are out. You know, it's like, well, we just built it, so it's going to be that way for a while. But uh, um Again, independent shops like ours uh, can make those cars last a long, long time, and we have no desire to try to sell you a new car. If you like the way a new car looks, like the way it smells, like the way it drives, then go buy one. But if you want to make the car last a long time, like this caller 
asked about four, five, six hundred thousand miles is not out of the realm whatsoever anymore. So, a little bit from uh, from the glove box about uh, uh, about longevity in cars. Driving the discussion today is brought to you by Auburn Gear. With Auburn Gear, you enjoy the top-of-the-line American-made diffs. Our extensive lineup includes specialty models for your specific needs, from everyday driving to performance racing, hauling loads on the highway, or conquering the toughest trains. Auburn Gear has satisfied power enthusiasts for over 50 years. Visit AuburnGear.com for more. Hey, uh, Mike and Tony Tadich uh, back at you from the Glove Box, independent shop owners in northern Indiana. Thanks to our partners and friends at Auburn Gear. Uh, great products for uh, all sorts of applications and stuff. You can go to their website or go to ours, and we're, we're linked together. But it's a great product for a lot of different things. So, so one of the topics that's come up is, uh, you know, the chip shortage that uh, seems to be affecting a lot of car manufacturers and what was revealed about that. So uh, that's that slowed down a lot of production on new cars um, because they have these chips, which are, again, many computers uh, that have been, uh, have really slowed down. So we talked to you uh, in our episodes about how many, you know, an average of 20 of these chips in a car. It's what makes the car run and work. So you can build the most beautiful car in the world, but if you don't have the control features that the chips provide us, it doesn't do anything. So what can you uh, lean in on the uh, chip shortage and uh, what is the recent problem revealed to us? Um, I mean, with the chip shortage, that's that's basically, you know, like you said, the main brain of the computer, the or the main brain of the car in the computer. The car, car can't operate without a computer nowadays. Um, and I don't think there's any time soon that we're going back to carburation <laughs> and getting away from a... Uh, computer chips. I don't even think that's possible in most vehicles. Um, but the the big thing that I think happened with these manufacturers is is no uh, original equipment manufacturer at this point in time manufactures their own their own chips. They all they all come from, I would assume, an area in China. Um, <laughs> so in in with the pandemic and and everything else that has occurred in the recent times. That's what's caused the the slowdown of the chips. So people weren't driving as much and everything else. So chips went to iPads and TVs and everything else versus going back into cars. And now uh, the snowball effect has occurred. The ball started rolling downhill and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we're massively behind on the amount of chips that we need. Um, to my knowledge, the only manufacturer that has started its own chip factory is Ford. Um, but you're probably still in the R and D phase and probably one to two years out from actually manufacturing its first chip out of that, out of that, uh, plant. Um, I was talking with a, a new car dealer friend of mine, uh, a couple of nights ago, um, and stuff. And he was talking about how, how the new car line has basically come out and said, look, you're going to have limited supply lines for the next one to two years. You might as well turn as many used cars and try to sell as many used cars as you can. For the next one to two years through the end of 2023 so we're nowhere near out of out of this chip shortage situation for cars nor are we nowhere near out of the uh, inflation of used car prices that has occurred 
So, which leads you back to keeping your good old trusty vehicle that you got and continuing to repair it, make sure that that's uh, uh, going to be a reliable mode of transportation for you. Yeah, and I think that shows a, a lot of things, Tony. There's there's uh, there's basically a big uh, flaw that this has showed. And I think even if you look at tire manufacturing, tire manufacturing is probably only 10, 15% in the United States of America and 85% are made somewhere else. We could have a tire shortage where you don't... Uh, you don't can't can't produce a car because you can't put tires on it. So um, if you look and see a lot of the uh, electric cars, Tesla and all that are taking all their battery manufacturing under roof to themselves. And you always think that everything that a Ford car has, like Tony said, is built by Ford. And in the, in the flat out answer, it's not um, very little. I mean, in the, one of the towns that we have, they make the rubber moldings for around the windows and doors and they make uh, uh, bearings for um, for wheels and stuff like that. So all this stuff is subcontracted. Um, and it just shows you a lot of flaws. I've also seen that our government is looking at putting billions of dollars behind, you know, trying to fix this problem also, but I think it goes far past that. Um, you know, a lot of the things we talk about, a you know, an American built car or, a, you know, foreign built car, which is really not even a good term anymore because, not too many stuff. Not they're assembled here. A lot of cars are assembled here. Oh. Yeah, but there a lot of products aren't built here. So I think it just shows uh, some uh, uniqueness. And again, I think as as Tony stated, all the more reason to you know maybe reinvest in a car you have if it's still a pretty good reliable thing. You know, it may be worth uh, you know whatever thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars it takes to put in that car and make it last a little longer and and get that four or five hundred six hundred thousand miles out of the car. So. Uh, that's a little bit about uh, that feature topic on uh, chip shortage and uh, some of the things that's been revealed by uh, this latest thing. Mike and Tony from the Glove Box. Hey, this is uh, father and son team, Mike and Tony Tadich. Uh, just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time, so we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.